0: Hey, this is Dave Ryder from Newspring Church here in beautiful Perth,
1: Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. All right, so we're this morning in our third morning or third week of the 316 Times Truth series. Um, but this week, well this weekend, we're going to be doing something slightly different. Um, we're going about it in a, in a slightly different way because this week's been quite interesting for me in terms of sort of message prep wise because what was happening was that obviously when you give yourself a specific verse, it sort of then means that you have to talk about that verse, yeah? That would be the, the next logical step. So... But, but what's, what was happening was when I was getting into the... Because we're in uh, First Corinthians this morning uh, um, and obviously our verse was First Corinthians 3.16. But the way that the letter flows, the way that Paul writes that letter, what I found myself doing all week pretty much was that it was always taking... Way more context from before the passage and way more context after the passage that it was starting to get sort of bigger than Ben Hur. Um, And it was, and what I realized I was doing is I was trying to force something into the work, into the passage. And what, whenever that happens, you need to stop because that's possibly one of the most dangerous things you can do to force a passage to say something that it potentially isn't saying, either because it needs to fit your agenda or because I have a deadline that I have to come up and speak in front of several dozen people on a Sunday morning. So I had a very, very important conversation with someone on Thursday, um, and I'm gonna bring him up in a little while. because what I realised I couldn't do is just allow the passage to, well, that one verse to sit on its own because to do that, firstly, doesn't justify the passage, but then, secondly, what it does is that it, it was just doing something called eisegesis, that I was putting meaning into the passage that potentially wasn't there. That's a very dangerous thing to do, okay? When we're reading Bible, like the Bible, you want to be pulling the meaning out of it, not putting uh, intentions into it. It's a very different thing. So, but chapter uh, 3, verse 16 is actually quite an important verse, though, okay, because it's a transitional verse between some of the stuff that's gone before it and some of the stuff that is after it. Um, And it's a transitional verse between some of the really big ideas that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians. Um, And... So what we'll do, we'll briefly read the verse. I'm going to talk about one thing specifically to do with that verse, and then we're going to talk about some bigger ideas. All right. 3, 16. Obviously in 1 Corinthians. Don't let yourselves... Sorry. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and that is what you are. So the one thing that I want to talk about this passage is that this passage is not about you in the individual sense. So this passage is talking about the you plural. So when he's talking about the you plural, are uh, the the Spirit? Are uh, the temple? He's talking about us, the church. Paul speaks about our bodies being the temple, um, specifically um, in chapter six. But what Paul is saying here is that God's church, this temple, His temple, is not a building. It's not a movement. It's not an organization. It is the sum total of all believers. And what we generally call the church in either or so is either a local expression or is a local expression of the greater reality. True followers of Jesus Christ together are the church. Are God's temple, His holy temple. And what Paul is saying here is that if anyone destroys God's temple, either in the local expression or in a larger context, the promise of God is, he, is that He will destroy that person. That is really strong language, but that's what the, that's what it says. So yes, you individually are the temple of God or temple of the Holy Spirit and along with that statement comes some significant responsibilities. But also we, the church together, are the temple of God. That's how God chooses to outwork his presence in the world. And along with that, come some significant responsibilities also. So what we're going to do for the next little bit this morning is that we're going to start to talk about some of the big ideas in 1 Corinthians. And um, because we can't just stay on that one verse. It doesn't speak enough, okay? Well, it does speak a lot, but... I didn't want to force it. So some of the big ideas that Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians or that he was dealing with, the church was divided, there was sexual immorality, they had very different ideas on what to do with that was food that was offered to idols, the church gatherings were chaotic and some denied the resurrection of Christ. And so what happens is that throughout the, the letter, throughout the, the epistle, Paul deals with each of these problems, but the thing is he does it in a way that constantly brings the people back, the church in Corinth, to start looking at the world through the lens of the gospel. That's what Paul is doing. He keeps bringing them back to the fact that collectively they are the temple of God and everything is centered around Jesus so it goes down a whole bunch of little rabbit warrens most definitely but these big ideas are constantly bringing us back to the main idea that everything's about Christ so let's go through briefly those five things so there was a division within the church Paul is addressing that because some people are saying, Oh, well, I follow Paul and I'm Apollos and I'm this and I'm Christ. And this leader, that leader. So the thing is, Paul reminds them that the leaders are servants too. They're servants of Jesus. Most definitely, they have a role and a part to play. My role is different to your role. I'm a leader here, it should be different. However, ultimately, I'm a servant. But the thing is, I'm not your servant. I'm God's servant. And how I serve God outworks in my leadership. That's what Paul's saying. And I know that it doesn't happen here, but you should never say, well, I hope it doesn't happen here, it's like, I don't like Brett, I prefer Dave. Or I don't like Dave, I prefer Brett. That should never be a part of your conversation because Dave's a servant, I'm a servant. Nays a servant. And the church is a community that is centred around Jesus, not the leader. Chapter 1, verse 10 Let there be no division among you, be united. So when we're talking about being around each other, first and foremost, are we united? Is what I'm doing causing division? Is it me, my preference over your preference? Is it my liking over your liking? Because if that's what's happening, you are causing division and it is not of God. The second point, the church was full of sexual immorality. They were practicing the sexual ethic of the world around them. Now if you understand anything of Corinth, as best we can, it was a hot pot, it was a trading point, there was lots of different idols and religions there, there was lots of different practices, there were temple prostitutes, there was the whole gambit. And they were practicing within the church what those outside of the church were practicing. And the thing is, what was happening is that they were talking outside, well inside the church going, well we have the freedom of Christ so we can do whatever we want. They were abusing it. Pretty much saying that Jesus has made us free so that anything and everything is permissible. Paul reminds them in chapter 6, verse 20 and 19. Sorry, chapter chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Christ has had to die for that freedom and what you do with your body matters. You are not your own. There's responsibility in being the temple of the Holy Spirit. Third point he talks about is that when it came to eating food that had been sacrificed to other gods or other idols, Paul reminds them most definitely that those other idols are just wood and stone. They're just metal. They actually aren't real. And so eating of food that is sacrificed to them is actually fine because it's not, it doesn't make it special or holy. However, if they were being watched and if their actions could be misinterpreted or mis- misinterpreted, then their loyalty is first and foremost to Jesus and their behavior, and if their behavior is making someone else fall, then they should give up their rights and not eat. You see the idea. If there's something that they're doing that makes someone else fall, guess what? It's your right, or it's not your right just to keep going. Paul says that even though their actions in and of themselves is not sin, but if your actions cause a brother or sister to fall, then you are actually sinning against them and against Christ. Chapter 10, verse 24. Paul reminds us not to seek our own good, but to seek the good of the other person. We're acting in unity. If what you're doing is creating someone else to fall, think about what you're doing, because it's creating division. That's not what we're about as the body of Christ. The fourth point, their worship gatherings were created, sorry, were chaotic and distracting. So what was happening was that everyone had a word and it was great. But it'd be like, I'm speaking now and, and Paul just jumps up and says, no, I've got something more important. And he gets four words in and someone else starts speaking. And so it was just chaos. So nothing was happening. And no one was understanding. And the thing is, what he was saying was that people who were first coming aren't actually getting the message of the gospel because it was about everyone's own individual thing. And we all have different gifts, we're all different, but everything we should, be, we should do should be done for the building up of the body. Chapter 14, verse 26. And the thing is, everything that we should, we should do should be motivated by love. Of God, of each other, of respect for ourselves. The famous wedding passage, chapter 13, verse 4 to 7, you know the one, love is patient, love is kind. I've got some good news and some bad news for you. This absolutely is not about marriage at all, (laughs) but it's about how we speak. It's about how we behave. It's about how we view our spiritual gifts and about how we use them. It's even about how you give and how you sacrifice, whether that's through your time, your money, or anything else. If it is not done with love, then it is not worth anything. Chapter 13, verse 3 says, "'If I don't do these things in love, then I gain nothing.'" Remember, love and unity all of the time needs to be at the forefront of what we do. If what you're doing is not done out of love or if it's creating division, it is not of God. The last one. The resurrection of Jesus came into question. Paul again responds by arguing that the resurrection... Isn't just a part of what we're about, it is the central part of the gospel. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then everything we are doing here is absolutely meaningless. We are sitting in this hot, horrible building for no reason whatsoever. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there's no point to any of it. Chapter 15, verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. Paul says that the resurrection is the reason why we should pursue unity above our own wants and needs, why we should honour our bodies in light of our sexual immorality, why we should and are able to love other people more than ourselves and the resurrection is our ultimate hope in victory over death so the thing is when I said I got stuck on all the little rabbit warrens and how do I get about that that's exactly what the church in Corinth were doing they were constantly getting caught up in all of the minor details and making them the major ones my rights over your rights, my preferences over your preferences. And what Paul is doing is constantly reminding them that there is a bigger picture at play. Christ crucified above everything, unity over division, honouring your own body and each other, foregoing our rights love in everything that we do this is not just the message to the church in Corinth or Corinth got the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable (laughs) but it is a message to today's church more than ever this is a message to me this is a message to you How we conduct ourselves in church with the body of Christ is important. So with all that being said, like I said at the start, we're going to do something a bit different now. I've only spoken for about 10 minutes. Look at me go. (laughs) So for the rest of this time, I want to invite Nigel up. Just grab your mic. You are, sir. Um, so, everyone, this is Nigel. Say hi to Nigel. Um, so, what I'll do is, I'll just as I just clear this, I'll get Nigel. If you want to introduce yourself and um, maybe start with some big thoughts or corrections that I, you need to make.
0: Uh, hello, everyone. I've been coming here for a little while. Um, my background: I English by birth, so quality heritage. Uh, um, came to Australia as just a, a little tyke and for most of my years I grew up in Maddington actually and uh, came to faith at Thornley Church of Christ just down the road here. Um, in the 80s I trained for ministry and have been an ordained minister of Churches of Christ since last millennium um, 1990. So I've been kicking around uh, churches and whatnot for a while. Uh, more recently I've uh, been Uh, one of the faculty at one of the theological colleges, Alpha Crucis University College. I teach in a range of areas, I'm one of these generalist type people, teaching biblical studies, ministry studies and a bit in the social sciences as well. Um, What else can I say about me? I don't know, one wife, two children, um, no pets.
1: Goldfish
0: died. <laughs> um, cat died. No. Um, yeah. I don't know what else
1: to say about me. No, yeah. That's
0: fine, I think. Oh, I look after um, postgraduate studies for the School of
1: Ministry of Theology for the College. So, yeah. Cool. So, big smart guy. Yeah. i just yeah. got to say. Yeah. Oh, let me, so, let me <laughs> add to that that you
0: said that. Smart in something. <laughs> Ask my wife and you'll find out. And anyone who's spoken to me, you'll know, like, names... That's
1: my non-superpower. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So, 1 um, Corinthians. Yep. Do you have any burning issues that you're burning ideas that you'd like to start off with?
0: I reckon you did a really good job. I <laughs> Thanks. <there's>... <laughs> <laughs> so, it...
1: You know, if I said anything about
0: 1 Corinthians, first of all, Paul's writing to a church he planted a number of uh, years ago, you think. And what we find out is he's had some, someone come to him saying about concerns about stuff going on in the church. They've written to him with some issues they want some answers on, and he's heard some stuff around the grapevine. So, really, this is what we call an occasional letter. It's not just, oh, I'm writing this to over today, he's addressing some specific stuff. So, first of all, we have to recognise. Why Paul wrote the letter. It's not just these are issues everywhere faced amongst all the churches in Canada. There's real, specific stuff going on. And if I said the big picture of the, the the letter, it's what Brett hit on. Two words which have the same idea: one and unity. You know, you see those two words occurring all the way through. And yeah, you know, I, I mentioned to Brett when we had a coffee on Thursday that. I preached on, I think it was chapter 7 or 14 one time, and my point was, the point is not the point in Corinthians. Yeah, because he's making a point about meat to idols or covering your head or whatever it might be. And so often I find in churches, people are focused on the detail and lost the big picture. And so I remember in some of our churches many years ago, women would wear hats because women are supposed to keep their head covers, at said in Corinthians. No, it's because in the context of the time, that was causing division. And so Paul says, you know, do what leads to the unity of your body. And, and on and on we go. So, yeah, that's the mm. big thing there. Everything flows out of that. Yeah. And yet it's so... Stop me if you need to. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yet it f- everything then flows from that. Like, let me let me give a confession. One of my first communion talks I gave many years ago um, used the passage from Corinthians where it talks about, you know, um, examining yourself and recognising the body of Christ. Um, I thought that was all this super sphero stuff and, you know, um, know, sacramental and, you know, this is the blood and the the body of Christ and all that. Now Now I've got a better understanding of the book. I reckon actually saying is, when we take communion... For example, the point isn't the point of the what you're reading, it's recognise the body of Christ, that whole idea of unity. So when we take communion, we're doing it together to recognise that we are only together because of the sacrifice of Christ and no-one stands above each other. And all, yeah, anyway, I'll keep going. Shut up there.
1: <laughs> so, so obviously when we're talking about the idea of that it's an occasional letter, that he's dealing some with really specific, like... And that's where often when we look at a book, uh, like an epistle of, like, 1 Corinthians, is that you get bogged down in the details of, like, head coverings and he talks about women in ministry and stuff and everyone goes, ah! And and so the thing is, it actually comes back to the big ideas in, in a lot of ways. And so one of the questions that I have is... When we start to look at, instead of the, the, the specifics, but the big ideas, and one of, obviously, those ideas is, it is unity and that sort of stuff most definitely, but it's about how do we look at life through this gospel-centred lens? So how would you potentially say that we would do this or can get to start to do that today for us?
0: I think it comes out fairly clearly at the start of the, the passage, Chapter 3 where how we behave matters. One of the, the traps we have in, in church is we can over-spiritualise things. Whereas Paul comes in and says, what you do shows who you are. So he says earlier in that chapter, you know, your divisions, your arguments, your um, pride, all these things that are, are the issues he's addressing, they show that you're children, you know, infants in the faith and you haven't grown up. And I, I use one of Paul's other letters, a to, letter to the church at Galatia, as my measure. You know, where the, he, said, he says there, sort of going over a few chapters, you've got this freedom in Christ and it matters what you do with it. And will you live according to the flesh or the spirit? And, and we've got those two lists and some people miss... The living according to the flesh—he's talking to Christians—and you, you can choose this. It's not sort of Christians, non-Christians, and so it's love, joy, peace, peace. We're okay with most with those. Patience. Who gets taxed with that? Kindness—that is so underrated. Gentleness, self-control. You know, as I've got older, I guess the one thing I look for more than anything else is the mark of a a true follower of Christ is humility. Because I think, think, for me, that encapsulates so much. And you look, I don't care what brand, you know, Anglican, Catholic, Quaker, Church of Christ, whatever, true followers of Christ look like each other. Mm. And mostly they look like, as described in Philippians 2, Christ being humble, serving others, even to death on the cross. So, you know... How we behave towards each other is what Paul was going on about in this letter and do we look like Christ in how we behave and how do we measure each other. And can, we, can I keep talking? Please. Um, yeah, there's a, I think it's chapter 6 of, of 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about, judge, it's sometimes translated judging, but it's more evaluating each other. And he's not talking about judging sin outside the church, he's actually saying that doesn't matter because they're not Christians anyway. Is this not working? Oh, okay, good. Um, He's saying that doesn't matter because Christians, the rules, the standards are for Christians, not non-Christians. We get that wrong anyway where we try and say, you need to behave like this to people outside, and actually that's wrong. That's me being gentle and careful. I was
1: going to ask you about that because that's in Chapter 5 where he's talking about don't judge. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: But he's saying actually we should be judging each other as in holding each other up to account how do we compare to the standard of behavior we're set because he talks saying being holy being representatives of christ um in in verse 16 actually it's really interesting the uh, the language he uses he doesn't actually say we're the temple of god that's actually a poor translation sorry (laughs) go back to your greek it's not no it's not here on Um, So he's actually using the image of, I don't know if you remember from Exodus and elsewhere, the temple of God. You've got the courts and then you've got the most holy place or the holy of holies, depending on how you translate that. And that's where God's special presence dwelt, where the high priest could only go once a year. And if you entered it without being properly ceremonially cleansed, you died and all sorts of things because that's where God's holiness was most evident and most present. That's what he says we are. More than just the temple, we're the place where God's actual holy presence dwells in a way that reveals his holy nature. Now, saying that and then saying these people were behaving so badly means not so good a look You know, for this holy presence of God. Can I keep going? Yes. Okay, I told him this problem. probably shutting me up. Um, And this connects with what the purpose of the church is. I don't know if you ever asked this question, but what is the church there for? It's not to gather on Sundays and sing songs, all right, because not everyone does. You go to a Quaker worship service. Anyone ever done that? You know what Quakers do in their services? Sit in silence listening for what god is saying and at the end of the service usually an hour they'll ask for people to say what they have heard from god and you're only going to say something if you have heard something significant it's not about you it's about communicating what god is saying through you to the people of god no singing nothing so you know we church over the 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 centuries has been really different but the purpose of the church is the same as the purpose of the people of Israel, to show people around the nature of God. Israel was, called, was given the laws so that the way they lived looked different from the nations around. Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, which can be characterised as a new Moses on a new mountain giving a new Torah, to show us how we to live as people in this new kingdom of God. If we don't live in a way that reflects the nature of the God we worship, then how are going to people know who this God is that we are trying to draw them to? So behaviour actually matters. And I think that's one of the big things.
1: Yes. That was a very long answer to the short no, question. Beautiful. Thank you. So it says at the start um, in chapter 1, mm. uh, verse 2, so it obviously says that to the church uh, of God at Corinth, um, to those sanctified in Christ, called as saints. So what is... He, what is what? Often, what people think is that these are, like, these are salvific issues. But he's clearly saying that he still considers them saints. Yes. So, what? How does that then sit in the context of when he's talking about immorality? That if someone's immoral, then they should be disciplined and put out of the community because that's a disruptive influence. How does that work in the the context of salvation? How long we got? Um... <laughs>
0: First of all, our standing with God is based on the sacrifice of Christ. So forgiveness is based on the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ. How we live in response to that is then the next thing. People who are like the Corinthians, they had this idea that they could live as though they were totally redeemed and lived in the new creation and they were free. Well, the trouble is they had forgotten about sin, that we still live in the presence and power of sin, so we're still fallen human beings. Our salvation isn't dependent on our being perfect, but, and our salvation isn't just passive either, though. Because, and the book of James is great, I think, with this, because it's a very Hebrew way of thinking, where for the Jews, they were the people of God. And they were the people of God because of the covenant God made with them and they agreed to as well. But they still had to live in a way that was appropriate to their position. You know, they... The same for us. We have to live in a way that's appropriate to our relationship with God. Does it mean we'll ever get it perfectly right? For goodness sake, no, not this side of eternity because we live in the presence and power us in. But it doesn't mean we don't actually make an effort it's a, I characterize it a bit like a partnership you know god does his part we've got to do our part too and our part is what's also described as working out our salvation now it's not a salvation by works because we are saved but it's following our salvation through faith in christ we then work out what that means so we try and live according to the standards set before us and that's why one of the marks of the church going back to guys you may have heard of calvin Luther, zwingli back at the reformation they they said well what are the key marks of the church and interestingly one of the ones we've lost over the last centuries was discipline there were three marks and for the life of me i can't remember what one of them was right now one was discipline one was the sacraments and the other one escapes me right now um but this discipline one was essentially this idea that paul's got in corinth of holding each other to account not to point the finger and say you're a bad person but actually so that we can encourage one another and support one another you know when someone's struggling you can kick them while they're down or you can come alongside them and try and help them to stand up and that's the idea behind church discipline It's a redemptive thing um but there is a time at which it gets cut off and that even is reflected in the people of Israel's history where God time and time again sent the prophets to call them back to worship him. And if you read from basically um, Judges on, you see this cycle of they turn away from God, they get called back and, and so on. Eventually God says, I'm, all right, you keep turning away from me, I'll let you have what you, you want. And he left the temple. You see this very clearly in the book of Ezekiel. And they got stomped on by the superpower of their time, Babylon, carted off into exile. And in the part of Hosea, it, one of the children is named, not my people. And the, the language actually re- reflects the covenant-making in Exodus, where he says, I will not be Echir, which is the, the actual name he gave to Moses, to you. I will not be your covenant God anymore. So he breaks the covenant with the people, so, can you break the covenant with God? Yes. It's not like that, though. It's not the first thing you do wrong. Suddenly you're out of um, relationship with God. But there is this sense where we need to work it out. And was it you, you said last to talk about the fear of God?
1: Possibly.
0: Possibly. <laughs> but, you know, Israel didn't fear God enough oh, yeah, yeah. in that sense that there were consequences to their actions. And so for us, I don't know if I'm making sense here, but, you know, we, we have to make the effort to live holy lives. But we don't do that individually. We do it in community, hence this idea of discipline, holding each other to account and so on. But that doesn't mean we easily fall out of relationship with God it's not uh, you're in you're out oh i've sinned and now i'm no longer one of god's people there's this recognition from the fact that he calls them holy people really means set aside for a holy purpose this this word it doesn't mean perfection so many of our problems come from greek ideas being put onto the text the ideas of absolutes you know you're either fully perfect or you're not fully perfect hebrews are much more okay with messiness And I think we just need to recognise we live in the messy part of our redemption where if we have acknowledged Christ as Lord, accepted the gift of forgiveness he's given, then life is going to be messy this side of eternity because we are being redeemed, being brought back, being made holy. We're not there yet. So when your kids ask, are you there, there? No. We're not there yet.
1: <laughs> so in the context of what you've just said, and um, from chapter 10, verse 31, where Paul talks about doing everything for the glory of God, mm. how would you potentially suggest we, how we outwork our lives in context to that? Or is that the wrong question? No, no,
0: it's a, it's a really good one. And the answer's fairly simple, actually. Do your best to live looking like Jesus i think that's actually the core mission of the church both as individuals and collectively do our best to look like jesus and that means you know the sort of stuff brett was talking about counting others better, greater than yourself um not demanding your rights but acting in love for others and that's within the church and without the church and when you stuff up You know, recognise that you're human and other people are human when they stuff up and all the rest of it. I think actually being more real, wearing fewer masks would help the church an awful lot.
1: Cool. So one of the big ideas, obviously, is unity when we talk about that. And so we briefly discussed the other day um, how the church, well, those within the church were pretty quick to jump on a bandwagon when it sort of came to stuff sort of like with COVID and vaccinations mm. and that sort of stuff. So how, as a community of God, do you think we need to start responding when there are big ideas in the world that affect our unity here, inside the church I'm talking about? What would you suggest would be our first port of call or how we remind ourselves that we're actually about unity and not division?
0: Yeah. First of all, look at our behaviour. How do we deal with our differences? There is no question we are not going to agree on everything. Okay? So once we get that out there, we have got to say, okay, so how are we going to deal with that? We can disagree without attacking. We can differ without destroying. If we choose to. Now, notice the if there, because that's the key thing. So often, we take positions and start to automatically do what our community does and make the other person the enemy and make the other person wrong and us right. Has anyone ever, apart from me, ever had the experience where you thought you were right and you were wrong? Okay, so if we've all had that experience, then surely humility tells us that we may not know everything and we may not understand everything. And that's the first bit. So humility and how we approach. Second is actually loving the other person. Too often... our passion causes us to, for the issue or the topic whatever, to not consider the other person as a person worthy of love and consideration as a brother or sister in Christ, for whom Christ died, who Christ loves and who the heart of God is turned towards. If we actually start to see the people are not the issues, I think we get there a, lot, a, a long way there. And sometimes be okay with disagreeing. Um, I don't know if you guys know Tim Healy. He's preached here a couple of times. I work with Tim. And on one topic we've discussed, I think he's an absolute idiot. I've told him that. Um, <laughs> and we get on really well. Uh, we disagree totally. But we're okay with disagreeing. And I think that's also something we need to be okay with. Because elsewhere, uh, I think it's in chapter 13, Paul talks about we understand in a limited way. He talks about seeing through a glass darkly. We don't know everything. We don't see everything. We don't understand everything perfectly. So sometimes it's okay to differ without Aggression without anger, without ill feeling and just recognise we differ. You know, how, how are we to grow if we don't hear other positions? How are we to grow if someone doesn't give us an idea we've never had before and so on? To me, together as the body of Christ we come closer to the mind of Christ but only if we're willing to listen to the mind of Christ as revealed in other people. There's an arrogance, a lack of Christ-likeness in those who won't hear others' perspectives. Hearing is really important. doesn't mean you have to agree, but at least you've heard, and loving is critical. Not namby-pamby, but practical caring for that person sitting opposite you.
1: Does that help? Yeah, awesome. So we've got a couple of minutes left um, before we close this down. Does anyone have a question? I mean, I can keep asking questions, but does anyone actually have a question? On anything? that? Yes.
0: Yeah. So, for those who didn't hear, the question is: How do you navigate it when, uh, particularly, you're in situations where you're surrounded by people who aren't like Christ? Um, how do you navigate your humanness? Is yeah. Yeah? Um, yeah, we're not. Yeah, flesh isn't perfect. First of all, I think that statement is really important. Um, recognise you're not perfect. So often one of the the traps is we can judge ourselves really harshly and fail to recognise that Christ understands what it means to be human. You know, um, does that mean we don't strive to improve? No, but I think improve is the goal, not perfection. So I would say... Do your best to do your best, to make that your goal, recognising that you're never going to be perfect. And seek wisdom, encouragement and support from the wider body of Christ. This is not a journey we're meant to do by ourselves. And our society's biggest problem is, unless you come from the Asian context or other communal cultures like african cultures south american cultures the majority of of us tend to think individualistically and so we think about me and i and i don't know if you looked at the songs we seen today and i'm not picking on the the team please don't hear that it's about many of our songs are written from a western perspective christ is enough for me christ is enough for us because we are the body of christ Our salvation is worked out together and so on. So how do I do it? Ask God what the key thing is to work on now and recognise it's a journey. And everyone else's journey will be different. So sometimes the issue God wants you to deal with in your life right now to become more like him will be different to others and sometimes it will change over time so if it's a case of your thought life god's dealing with fine if it's a case of your language fine if it's a case of your um, how you react to challenge or whatever you know work with god on the thing that's in front of you now and recognise that you're not going to finish the journey this side of eternity. I don't know if that helps. Yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah. Be kind to yourself. Work on one thing at a time and make the goal to improve, I guess, as a summary.
1: Awesome. Anybody else? We've got one last sort of question. Yes? Actually, I'll come to you.
0: We were going to have a roving mic till oh the... Um, one uh,
1: I like how you said that we can differ without destroying if we choose to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think in part you've answered my question that I was going to ask. How then do I recognize that I'm edging closer to destroying? I- is there some points I could consider to warn me that I'm, I'm getting closer to the line and I should back off, something like that? Do I even make sense?
0: Yes, you do. I think it's not easy to destroy the church by accident. Um, You know, just saying one wrong thing is not going to cause problems. But what Paul was addressing, particularly in Corinth, had been ongoing for a while. People had started to form camps or, you know, different positions, divisions within the church, one against the other, not recognising the whole, the unity. So um, Brett mentioned COVID and the differences in the church there. I know of churches around the country that actually split over that. That does not help the message of the gospel. That actually just reflects our community and says we are no different from those around us. I know there were people in this church who differed from each other on that issue. And I don't know how it worked out in the long run but I know certainly with some conversations I had we had people in this congregation who had different positions and yet still remained within the body. Did it make it uncomfortable and tense or difficult? Yeah, of course it can. But there is actually very little that is core to the faith that we can't differ on i I would say something like the apostles creed summarizes the core issues of the faith you know god exists humanity's fallen the sacrifice of christ is the way to that restored relationship with god the trinity is a key idea within the christian church and that's and the resurrection of the body um about the key ideas i can't remember the creed exactly you could probably do better than me on that. But, you know, there's... Beyond that, everything else is secondary. And yet, one of the sadnesses I have is that so often what we divide over, what we argue over, are very secondary issues. Is it always easy? No. Um, I've, I've been on ecumenical stuff through uh, National Council of Churches, heads of churches. And so I've had to work with... The whole theological spectrum here in Australia—not always easy—but it's worthwhile. Um, one of the most significant ideas I had, actually, over the last ten odd years, came from encountering the Greek Orthodox, well, the Orthodox Church, not the Greek, Syrian, Coptic Orthodox Church that I never would have encountered if I hadn't have actually listened to how they thought, how they understood things, which was slightly different. So, I wouldn't worry that you're accidentally going to cause division. You could more easily cause individual hurt, and that then means being aware of the other person or how what you're saying has an impact on them and that's sort of like the meat to idols type things you know you have freedom but if what you're doing is going to hurt another person then don't do it just because of your concern for the other and that they are a worthy child of god but i wouldn't be worrying that it's something that's going to happen very
1: very easily does that help Yeah, I think that if you're behaving and responding in a way that has unity and love at the forefront of what you're doing, then it's actually really hard Mm. to do that.
0: And look, let's recognise none of us are perfect. We're all going to say and do things that will at some times rub someone up the wrong way. Who doesn't have a button that can get pressed? Okay? And someone who doesn't know you will sometimes do something in a way that just presses one of your buttons. Okay? That's where graciousness comes in on our part when someone... So it's, it works both ways. And if we were humble from one side, gracious from the other, then a lot of the problems wouldn't escalate.
1: And recognising those things is also part of like spiritual growth and maturity as well mm. and, and recognising how you respond, if you're responding in an immature way or yes. not. It, it, it's also that when he's talking about even in Corinthians where you know you should be more mature than what you are now but i have to treat you like babies because a Mm. lot of the stuff that's happening right now in or in this letter is because they're spiritually immature and they're Mm. not behaving like mature christians
0: yeah yeah and (laughs) let me add one more thing that causes that often leads to problems in the church is our avoidance of conflict conflict is not a four-letter word okay No, definitely not. Um, Yet Christians treat it like it is. Conflict at its lowest level is just disagreement. But too often we have this false... ...ethic, I suppose you call it, that says, oh, no, we can't disagree with someone because it's not being loving. That's rubbish. It's how you disagree that's the issue, not whether you disagree. And too often we bury conflict until it becomes World War III and that's when the explosion happens. So actually dealing with conflict at the point of disagreement and making it a, an opportunity to understand the other will actually reduce conflict, make it constructive. Burying it never helps.
1: Awesome. Okay. So we're, we're going to leave it there for now. It's, it's now 10.30, which is when I would normally try to be wrapping up my message anyway. So um, can you pray for us as we close the service? Thank you.